Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James, and this week we are going to be going deep, deep into security. We're going to be talking cybersecurity and, you know, looking at some of the things that maybe are common misconceptions around cybersecurity, particularly around attacks. We're also going to be talking about everyone's favorite subject passwords. We're going to talk, we're going to have to talk passwords. That, okay, I didn't know we had a velociraptor on the call. Jay is my, ah. my wonderful co host, and she's here today and she's brought someone with her. Jay, how, before we introduce our guest, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I, I, I'm here recording with you and also recording with our amazing, amazing guests. So it's been a great, it's been a good day. And I'm just having a lot of fun. The fact that like it's almost into February, almost March. And how are you doing, by the way? Before, sorry, 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 sorry my guest. I'm not trying to. I was going to I was gonna say fine. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. No, I'm good. We have been working. Actually, you know what? Very quickly, I've got to say. I am loving our new toy, our new next cloud instance. We won't obviously reveal the URL, but we decided to try and move away from Google services a little bit. And, you know, even to an extent, iCloud, because iCloud syncing kind of sucks when you're talking big files. And we were looking at the cost of like a, of like either, I'm not trying to disparage any services, but like Box or Dropbox and stuff like that. We were like, we could combine our resources and our money into something that would actually give us more control over what you want and like today our our guest has a has a has a private link here and what's cool is it's actually has our logo there so for the fact that like we have a lot of a lot of uh white labeled stuff much cheaper than what you would typically find from a lot of other surfaces and next cloud's really cool so i i really like it it is definitely not easy there's a lot of stuff that we're trying to figure out so if you have the funds and you want something that's, that's a little bit more handholding, but also if you want to do it, I definitely recommend setting up a Linode and I'm just going to go right into it. Are you, are you doing a spawn? Are you doing an affiliate spot already? Okay. Go for if you it. go to crosswires.net slash Linode, you can support the show, but also get yourself a new in- instance and get a hundred dollars credit off your first. Is it, I think, 30? 60 days. 60, 60 days. days. So definitely check that out. And again, we just, we, we love Linode and what they've been able to do and the prices that we found from them. Incredible. So, so probably the record for the earliest ad break. That's not one of those dynamically inserted ads that we will never do that comes from like, Hey, we're a casino and we're doing an ad before the thing. And we think you're over in like Michigan, but you're actually in Vermont. <laughs> I, I promise you, listeners, we will never do D, we will never do DAI. It's not on our radar. Right. Yeah. Anyway, our, our guest today is one of my best friends and somebody that like I just, I, I love so much and just, I love talking with him. It is Sash or Alexander. How are you today? I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> I'm pretty good, although I did something to my neck. So I'm like, ah. <laughs> but aside from that, I would say I'm pretty good. So, Sash, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it really is a pleasure to have you here. And before we get into talking about cybersecurity, and we've got a lot we can discuss, and I, I have a feeling this episode might run longer than planned, but that's okay. So do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself, maybe where your, where your background in cybersecurity comes from? Well, 
I have been working in cybersecurity since 1996 when I joined a company that had created, if not the first firewall, then one of the two first firewalls. The company was called Trusted Information Systems, and the people working in it had all worked for the government at one time or another and or digital equipment corporation. And so that was, that was kind of their background. The guy who kind of recruited me there was a mentor of mine that I had worked with before. And he is actually the guy who discovered what they called the wank worm back in, I think the eighties, the late eighties. There, he's the subject of a book and I think a TV show where uh, he basically discovered it while he was working. I forget if it was for Deck or for another company uh, at the end of the 80s. Anyway, so uh, he was working for this company and I joined it. And what I was doing actually was tech support, but it wasn't the click on my computer type of tech support. First of all, nobody was using Windows boxes back then because Windows was a baby. Uh, we were maybe dealing with Windows 3 at that point. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. So what I found myself doing was rewriting DNS tables, rewriting send mail rules, all this to integrate with this firewall, which was it didn't have a user interface. You did everything by hand in this big, essentially, directions document. It was it was like it it, it was the same as a lot of DNS tables. It, it looked like that. We called it the net perm table for our network permissions. So this company basically created a lot of stuff that that later was integrated into other firewalls. Uh, they had the first really good HTTP proxy, for instance. They had the, the first SendMail proxy. And uh, they were also, God, I forget what the two different types of, there was like the stateful inspection one, and that was not us. I think it was just called a proxy firewall. And that's what our firewall was. It was called the gauntlet. Because, you know, running the gauntlet in order to get through the network kind of thing. And uh, and it was one of the most famous firewalls in the world for a while. Eventually, they were bought by the company that sometimes goes by the name of McAfee. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, I th- yeah. They've changed their name like 65 times. For a while, they were Network Associates. For a while, they were McAfee. Then they were McAfee Associates. Then they got bought by Intel. Now they're back to being their own company again. And uh, Gauntlet. TIS got bought by them and then fired everybody. (laughs) Anyway, to make a very long story short, because as I say, this started in 1996, I worked for a bunch of other startups. Uh, Foundstone was one. They also got bought by McAfee. Uh, But that time they didn't fire everyone. I, I was actually afraid going through different companies because I worked for a lot of security startups that I would just be bought by McAfee over and over and over again. I, I was really beginning to worry that that was going to be the case. I've also worked for the U.S. federal government quite a lot, doing mostly compliance work, but also some technical work doing vulnerability management and that kind of thing. And I would say that, technically speaking, vulnerability management and endpoint are probably my two biggest areas of expertise, 
right now I'm doing compliance again, which I'm probably locked into because a lot of times employers, potential employers will decide, oh, if you're doing compliance, you're not technical, (laughs) which I have this technical background. It makes me really good at compliance. Uh, And as I say, that's what I'm doing right now for a Fortune 4 company. I'm doing it through my own small business. Uh, So right now I'm corp to corp. So that's me. Awesome. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's really interesting when we look at the the whole realm of cybersecurity people. I think maybe one of the first common misconceptions that we can clear up is that cybersecurity and things like attacks and worms and viruses and malware, they aren't new. There's been computer viruses all the way back to the 80s and there's been cyber attacks all the way back. It's just that as we become, I think, is it fair to say, as we become more and more of a connected world, those attacks become more evident and become more more impactful because half, pretty much everything is now some sort of online service. And so attacks are just becoming more more prevalent. Absolutely, because like a lot of what we're finding, I know there was an airline recently that released a document because it was hosted on a publicly accessible URL and hackers are sometimes just like trying these like search engines that will try to like look through what a web server has access to. And a lot of it, sometimes people just getting lucky. There is one service I was reading about recently. They were using sequential numbering in their photos. So if someone was just lucky enough to do this, it was security through obscurity. Yeah. There is a place for that. It should just not be your only line of defense. Yeah, no, obviously, because yeah, and and it's an interesting one because that a lot a lot of that comes into the compliance realm, like making sure that confidential information is not getting leaked. So you know, we're talking a lot of protection, and Sasha, I'm sure you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, exfiltration protection. So things like okay, let's make sure that our emails going out of our server don't contain the doc- classified documents and. You know, I've I've done a little bit of work that with oh, for, uh, ClearSwift, like an email security product. It's quite interesting how that all works. Yeah, that sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, by Help Systems. Oh, well, they used to be called Help Systems. I don't know what they're called anymore. But I think they've changed their name again. I might have been at a former company that for a little while was accepting job applications through a WordPress installation and hosting them in a just a regular WordPress database oh, because no, of no. the costs and stuff like that. I had told them, listen, we need to invest in a bigger service. Thankfully, they finally listened to me and moved that to another service. But for a little while, they were hosting all their email, their employee applications on a database that was just waiting to be hacked. Oh, yeah. There are so many times when I'll see the current company I'm working for doing something tremendously insecure or whatever. And I'll be like, guys, do you realize that this is a problem? And the thing is that it's such a huge company that everybody is segregated into their little spaces. So like I have this very specific job to do this very specific thing and they don't want to hear anything that I have to say that isn't that specific thing, even if I have the knowledge and expertise. So I'm hoping that changes eventually, but right now, sometimes it's a little annoying because I'll be like, you know, you guys, you could get hacked all to be, and they have a couple of times, honestly. And maybe that that brings us into sort of some clearing up a little bit of sort of term 
confusion. So when we talk about hackers and vulnerabilities, can you, I mean, so let's, let's start with vulnerability because vulnerability is a term I don't think people really understand when we talk about security. And vulnerabilities can be anything, anything from, you know, Microsoft Word can have vulnerabilities, but your firewall, your home router can have a vulnerability because of the nature. You know, we, look, we've talked about open source with Tom Lawrence. When an open source project has a vulnerability, that will affect anything that's built on top of that project or uses that component. So what, what, what do we mean when we say a vulnerability, Sash? Well, a vulnerability, technically speaking, is when you have some sort of, it might be a bug or it might even just be the way the application works, that will allow an attacker to come in and do a certain thing, which is called an exploit. A good example of that is, uh, let's say you've got a SQL database that isn't uh, requiring authentication or isn't checking, isn't doing data validation, input validation. Mm-hmm. One of the most common vulnerabilities out there, even now, is for someone to enter a huge string of characters into a form that writes to a database, and then they can, at that point, either get it to drop tables or get it to redirect into another part of the web application or something like that and basically uh, allow someone to take control. I'm just remembering a joke on that. I think it was a school district. They sent a note to a parent saying, can you please change your child's middle name? Drop star from star is not a suitable middle name. Yes. And the parent wrote back, please sanitize your SQL inputs. That was, yeah. You're thinking of XKCD, right? Yes, I am. That's exactly yes, where it is. Little yes. Bobby Tables, we call him. Yes. <laughs> or the individual who made their license plate null, and it ended up causing so many issues. God, yes. For them and for the BMV. <laughs> I think it was California. But, yeah. Again, sanitize your inputs. So, so then I guess, does that mean then, Sash, from a, a, me taking this at a very basic level, trying to translate a, a little bit, a vulnerability is a route into a system. It's a route in because either by design or a bug that gives an attacker a way to be, basically be nefarious. Is that a fair simplification? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one way to look at it. It's not really the only thing because there's also, if you can even, a vulnerability could be as simple as you enter a certain thing and the application crashes because that's a denial of service. So, but yeah, I would say basically... It's a vulnerability is something that gives an attacker a way to get into your systems in a very, you know, speaking very simply. And I want to bring up one point because I have had many people ask me this, especially when I was helping my family troubleshoot Facebook. Mm. I would always get a thing. Someone hacked the Facebook when all they did was make a, a duplicate account to then try to impersonate and do social engineering, which which is a way to try to gain access to like funds or different things or to manipulate people. But I think sometimes we conflate the word hacking with like social engineering at times. Honestly, even I do that sometimes. I'll say to like, I'll, I'll get a, a friend's request from someone who I already have friended and I'll go, Hey, you know, just make sure your password's okay because 
somebody's trying to hack you. Uh, but the thing is that a lot of people don't understand the difference. And because of that, it's just easier to say that. Mm-hmm. Because the next the next thing they're going to try and do is actually get into the account. That is true. Yeah. Like, that's why I have two-factor authentication on everything I have. Because my being a trans woman, I've had quite a few people try to get into my accounts. And I have a lot of security added. Like, now I default to two-factor authentication because it's once it's good. But two, because many times I wake up in the morning and be like, someone's trying to get into your account. And I'm like, nope, you're not getting in. And again, that is, that's what we, you know, that's sort of trying to get into your account. You know, I'm a scammers, the bank scammers, the email scammers who are trying to get you to go to their web page to log in because your bank account has been frozen. That's absolutely social engineering. They're doing nothing more than capturing your login details through fake forms. That's not, that's not necessarily a vulnerability in the bank's security. That is a human vulnerability. Right. I mean, there is an argument to say that if banks stopped trying to do security theatre, as in actually used standards instead of trying to invent their own, you know, stand on your head, knock on the door four times, enter your password upside down, and then give us characters four, five, and six of a word that you might not remember. I mean, it's a pet peeve of mine, but that's still, that's a response to something we'll talk about later, which, which is passwords. Can you give us a bit of a sort of a almost like a TLDR on, on what when we talk about attacks, cyber attacks being particularly, and and what these hackers are out to do? What what's their mission? What is it that they're trying to do? Because am I making sense in in that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the interesting thing is that social engineering is still the best gateway, the best attack vector in this specific way. What what many attackers are doing is they will entice somebody with an official looking email. And then when they finally get that foothold into the specific system of that specific user, they will then use ransomware. And the ransomware will very often spread throughout the network. So the user, the first user will be like, oh, wow, LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. I'll click on this. And then the attacker will, uh, will be able to get into their laptop or whatever it is, or, or perhaps we'll even just send them a link to download ransomware. It can be as simple as that. It'll get on their, their system and then hop from their system to more systems on their network. If you're connected by VPN, even. So if you're working from home, your, you know, your network isn't safe. And then at that point, when this ransomware is encrypting all your files, that's when they'll demand, Oh, you know, send us so much in Bitcoin or whatever it might be. So there's a bunch of different ways to do it, but it all starts again with social engineering, this phishing, uh, specifically. And it's the, because it's social engineering, it's the hardest thing to guard against. You can do. Training after training after training after training. I'll say there was one time when I fell for it. I had just started at this new company. And I mean, I was kind of full of myself when I was uh, interviewing there because 
I had realized that being tremendously humble is not the way to get a job. So I was like, you know, you want a security expert. I'm that security expert, blah, blah, blah. I start the first day I got a LinkedIn request from another one of the engineers on my team, I thought. And the, the thing is that it's the kind of thing that you would assume. Like if I get something like that in my personal email, I, you know, whatever. But it was my work email and it was my first day. And the guy had said something like, hey, are you on LinkedIn? I was like, oh, okay. And I clicked on it. And then I felt like the stupidest person in the world because it wasn't it wasn't an actual attacker. It was just their phishing program or their anti-phishing program, I should say. They had just decided, oh, let's, let's, you know, they were testing everybody on the first day. And so, you know, that's what happened. So I just got this, ha ha, you clicked on our link, you know, and I was like, screw you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a thing. I mean, I, I will admit I fell for a Google one because they are getting, and for my moment, it's getting better and better. But, you know, we talked about with, you know, um, with um, Nancy about Eldercare stuff, about all the emails and all the, you know, the fake, you know, getting in, again, social engineering, and people are more vulnerable because they don't, I think for us as tech nerds, and I don't, I, I don't know what sort of percentage of the audience are fully, you know, fully technics and people. Because I, I, I want to say, by the way, thank you to a person who wrote this. The person who wrote the review that said, that, um, you know, if you want to see the human side of tech, this is a great podcast to start with. Thank you so much, whoever wrote that. But that's exactly what we want. That's why we're doing this episode to try and make people aware. But I guess then what happens is, so that, and correct me if I'm wrong. The recent LastPass hack the breach rather was because of social engineering. Someone got dev credentials and then because of, I'd say improper internal security, improper uh, authentication, probably they were able to get so much data because once they were in the network, that was it. Yeah. And, and the big question is why aren't you encrypting your database? I mean, it's so simple. Well, I shouldn't say it's, it's expensive as hell, but it's like, why, why were they allowed? You shouldn't, because even if somebody is in your network legitimately, you don't want them seeing your database. No. You know. The, the idea is, you know, the, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, the idea that security professionals and security teams should be working on is the least amount of access required to do your job. Yeah. Absolutely. Like at my, at my job, I cannot get an email in from anything but an official email from my company's domain. And I can email out, but I can't get any emails in. And it's interesting on the, the social engineering stuff. I mean, you shouldn't even be, you probably shouldn't even be, uh, in, given the data that you've got access to, you probably shouldn't be able to email out. No, there's a, there's only, a, yeah. which I, I'm a little surprised they have that there, but, yeah, I at least can't email in. And what was inter- what's interesting is the social engineering side, they're having a trouble right now because their point of sale systems internally, you you have to have a specific credential. Mm-hmm. But what they but what you find is sometimes people will leave those numbers on a post-it note next to the point of sale system. So then people will call in and be like, Hi, I am such and such from company. We need you to to take these gift cards and from the company worth thousands of dollars, process them through your system 
and then give us the money. And it's happening enough times that there are thousands and thousands of dollars being given to scammers from our company. I kept asking, like, why does it keep happening? They said, you don't realize these scammers are very good. Well, even yesterday, we were taking down scammers on our stream. I'm not sure. I'm not sure taking them down was we we were trying to bully some scammers, shall we say? Well, and take up their time. But what's interesting though is how manipulative they were. They were, and how much they were gaslighting us in a lot of ways. They're like, "Well, I didn't really say it, but you said it." And we aren't blocking your computer. The Trojans you have are blocking. And there's a lot of that manipulation out there. So I just, I find that very interesting. It seems like people should know better. I'm not saying people should know better, but it's the scammers are smart. They know psychology. They, they know all of that, the aspects to get this data. Yeah. And a lot of times too, it's like, you know, I'm out there on social media because you know, I'm trying to run a business and, and I'm sure, you know, the same is true for both of you. You know, you have to be on various types of social media. And I think the fact that I recently on LinkedIn, it, it took me a while. I waited mm, three or four months, but then I went ahead and said what company I was working with. All of a sudden I'm getting all this stuff from that company. Yeah. It's all to my personal email. So it's like, duh, you know, they're not going to write me here. But at, at the same time, it's like, wow, is this because they saw that on my LinkedIn? And it's it's very possible. It is. And, it, it, you know, again, and a lot of companies now do start to have social media policies um, to say, please, you know, do not mention who you work for on, on social media. Yeah. Uh, but that's not a, a, a dig, by the way. Uh, that's just something I've seen in, in contracts now saying, don't mention who you are, you're working for. And it's di- but it's difficult if you're, you know, particularly in, you know, in our case where we might be saying, oh, we're partnered with this company or, you know, we are doing this or we're working with this company on this project for publicity is, it can be difficult. I don't mention who I work for. And part of it was in one of the trainings, they said, be very careful ever mentioning our company yeah. that you work mm-hmm. for, because they realize we are with the, the data we have access to. We could one, even as simple as we could end up messing a vendor's contract by, t- by bad mouthing one of the vendors that we work with. So they say, just don't mention it at all. And, but when it, angle I'm interested in is how many people do TikToks and things from companies and from they're work, really giving yeah. away a lot of data on the inside. Like I don't post ever a photo from where I work because that is confidential areas where I'm in. All it takes is for you to post a photo in front of a wrong screen and you've just breached privacy laws. Absolutely. And maybe worse. Yeah. How big of an issue is that like in terms of, you know, confidential information and uh, you know, things like, again, is the, the route via TikTok and via, you know, YouTube shorts, even via Twitch streams of people, and Instagram, of course, people accidentally capturing logging credentials. Oh, yeah. It's, it's even worse than that. Okay. So I wear glasses, computer glasses. Mm-hmm. Look at, look at my glasses. Oh, you can see you your can screen. See. Oh, wow. People are capturing login credentials reflected. I read an article on that recently. Uh, 
basically people are are capturing login credentials and other data and reflections from people's glasses just because oh look i'm at work today or whatever posting a selfie and it's like yeah no don't be doing that no well i mean and it's not quite work but the politicians who will post an airline ticket photo there's an article out there i need to find the link for it but they literally found all this data about this politician and his personal information from the airline ticket that he posted because of all that data that it is linked to. All these people who post their credit cards yes. on the internet. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's like guys. And the ones posting their, their COVID cards, like I'm glad they got their COVID vaccine, but don't post any of that because of the, all the data that you're putting out there about yourself. But also... <laughs> I mean, not because we don't want to spend too long on social engineering, but it is important. But the one that always gets me is those Facebook quizzes that ask you all the things that would be... Your security questions, yeah. I mean, I will every once in a while post one of those, you know, whatever, however much about me, you know, what's your favorite, whatever. But I also know that when I'm doing that, none of those answers are to my security questions, so I just don't worry about it. But it's like a lot of those third party quizzes when they're asking you stuff, where are they, where are they saving that? You know, like, like all the BuzzFeed or Wired quizzes or whatever. I'm not trying to put those publications down, but it's like, you know, where are they storing that? Are they storing it? What are they doing with that data? I will say because I've changed it since then, but when I was younger, my dog, my former dog was. A security question for a system, and I realized if you talk about your dog, they have that immediately. And one final social engineer I was was thinking of, I had a thought. Oh, even today, we had somebody that, I don't know if he was trying to social engineer or if he was trying to, to find a relationship, but he was asking some very personal questions. And I was like, I don't know you. I don't feel comfortable telling you this right now. Please stop asking me these questions. I will tell you if I know you over time. But yeah, uh, those people who are just like, what's your name or where you're from? I'm like, no. Yeah. Well, if I can give one piece of advice, actually, before before we do move on, and that's those security questions. Like, they'll say, uh, like, what was your favorite aunt's name? Or what was the name of your first roommate? Answer something completely different. Like, okay, say the the name of my first roommate was Joe. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, you know, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo or something like that. Because then even if somebody knows that my first roommate's name was Joe, they're not, they're still not going to be able to answer that question because I didn't put Joe in. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because that's a great tip. Yeah. Use fake information. What I love, and this is not, and this episode is not at all sponsored by or in partnership with one password. We, me and Jay are both huge one password fans and other password managers do exist. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about some of the maybe downsides of using cloud-based password management later. But one of the things I love at one password added recently is you can add a security answer pair and it will generate a phrase to use as your security answer based on that security question which is really cool. It confuses the heck yeah. out of a call center agent. What was the first film you saw? <laughs> uh, Papa Charlie 429. 
That sounds like a good film. I haven't seen that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, a joke. Let, let's move on a little bit, though, to when I say device security, I mean, so there's a few bits about this, because when we talk about vulnerabilities, my overriding image when I come to talk about vulnerabilities and flaws is the WannaCry issue a couple of years ago. I mean, it's it's what, like, Wow, is that that? Is that the that's only six years ago of one cry incident? I wow, because I remember yeah, it was, it was a while ago, but yeah, and and that came about due to unpack uh, to vulnerabilities in Microsoft Windows Server, from what I remember correctly. Well, the problem, the biggest problem there wasn't that that vulnerability was there; it's that people were not patching the servers, and here in the UK, the NHS they got taken down massively by that because. They thought, oh, it's on our internal network, and so it doesn't matter. But oh god, it does. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. like having your own proprietary network doesn't stop you getting stuff coming in through, if, you know, through external endpoints. So, Sash, before we go much further into device security, if I were to ask you what your response would be to people say, "Oh, I never update my computer and update my operating system," or oh, my, god. you know, anything like that, what would be what would be your response then you are probably and it doesn't matter if you're you know somebody's grandmother or if you're you know the president of pepsi if you're not updating your not just your own personal machines at home but also all the machines at work then you are actually asking to be hacked there is no such thing as a completely secure computer or network. It's impossible. There's nothing that's perfect. But these patches come out for a reason. They're usually to patch bugs that have already been exploited. And so not patching your systems is just asking to be attacked, really. That's a very good point. Update your update your OS. And I think I mentioned this when we talked to Nick from the Linux experiment, when we talked to uh, Tom Lawrence about open source and, you know, raised some of these same things. At the point that your device stops getting security updates, that's the time to stop using that device. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that goes for phones as well as computers, honestly. If you have a really old phone... And you're still using it. And I know some people who are using iPhone 5s. But yeah, it's like when it's not supported anymore, stop using it. Yeah. I know phones are expensive. Let, let's let talk a little, little bit though about before, because I could go into a whole thing about why I think iOS is. Let me rephrase it. Let me make sure I phrase this correctly. Compared with the vast majority of cheap Android phones, I don't mean the mainstream, I mean the cheap budget phones iPhones tend to last longer because Apple, for all Apple's faults, and they have many faults, for all their faults, they do at least support their devices for quite a long time with updates. And Google make, again, this is not a Google problem. Google make the security updates available. But if you've got a really cheap Android phone that maybe you've bought from AliExpress, chances are that's A, not running the latest version of Android, and B, is never going to get security updates. So, yeah. Is it fair to say, Sash, that you do need to make sure that you're if you're buying a phone, what do you what do you know about or rather you need to ask yourself, well, do I know that I'm this phone is going to get security updates? Is it running the latest? Yeah, I actually, even though it's more expensive, I buy my phones from my mobile company 
and I upgrade them every couple of years. Uh, not always as soon as an upgrade is available, but certainly when it gets to the point where the phone's slowing down or they say they're going to stop supporting it. In fact, I haven't had an unsupported phone in years. I just upgraded again and I'm like, oh God, the cost. But at the same time, it's worth it to me to know that I have a supported OS. And look, that's really important. Know about that. The one thing I'll say is, particularly if you're looking for um, iPhones, you can go onto Apple's website and it'll tell you what phones are supported for the current version. Uh, it's one of the nice things about iOS, you know what devices are supported. I would always, I mean, there is some clever calculation to this. And I think my my advice would be, if you're looking at a phone that is the oldest phone supported by the current version of iOS, you probably don't want to consider that phone. Yeah, no. Because the chances are it might get cut off in the next iOS update. Is that a... Yeah. Yeah. And again, same with Android. But what about then? You talked about endpoint security. And when we say endpoint security, we mean security measures or applications that are installed on your devices. I guess a great example, antivirus, anti-malware. What, what's your opinion? Because you, you talked about McAfee, and McAfee has a, is it fair to say, has a bit of a reputation for being a, a little bit of a bloat on systems. And so do so does Semantic, so do many of your yeah. programs. What's your advice? Because, I mean, okay, what should people be installing more than just Windows Defender, for example? What what do people need to be considering about this? Are there scams in it? Not scams. Are there rip-offs in that sort of space as well? Yeah. Honestly, what I would usually suggest that people do if they're business owners, okay, so small Anything from kind of a small enterprise to a larger one. I'm not talking about one or two, you know, size, but I'm just talking about, you know, any kind of enterprise where you've got employees. If you're, if you're paying their insurance, for instance, if you're that size, then I would say don't rely on traditional antivirus. It's not bad to have. But it's not something you should rely on. I would say go second gen or what they call next gen with a carbon black or a CrowdStrike or a cyber reason, something that is going to give you better, better defense, something that's not just reactive. Now, a lot of the older legacy antivirus, like, and, and I assume McAfee's one of these. I haven't used it in years, so I don't know, but I have worked with Symantec more recently and they will, they'll tell you that they've been working hard on the whole bloat problem that, you know, uh, uh, slowing down machines. I didn't actually have any problems with that the last time I worked with Symantec, but they still, from what I could tell, were pretty reactive. They do most of the, uh, the newer, um, endpoint protection systems. They, have uh, this concept of disallowed programs where you can't put certain things on certain desktops and you can configure it for different groups and that type of thing. As far as I know, McAfee and Symantec and the, the legacy antivirus have that also now. I think the newer companies probably do it a little bit better. And I would say if you've got enough money in your enterprise, so if you're, you know, a larger company or a very well-funded nonprofit even, 
go ahead and get both types of systems. Get like Carbon Black and Symantec or whatever, because that way you've got kind of a belt and suspenders kind of thing going on. I mean, I'm a big, I mean, I am a big fan of Bitdefender for traditional endpoint security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mostly because of how well it integrates into, and this is not a Linus Tech Tips episode, but how well it integrates into Pulseway, you know, um, which is an RMM tool, which is a, a different thing, but can help for helping to keep security updates flowing. It can help you be aware. Yeah. Uh, you know, RMM tools are important in business. What What about for, say, average average Joe or average Jane or average, you know, us, basically, at home? Now, I'll be honest, I don't run antivirus on my Mac or on my Steam Deck. Should I? Uh, what about Windows users? I mean, again, Windows Defender has come a long way. I, get, I guess my question is, when you look at things like Avast and AVG, which to me have just turned into to bloat i ran eset on my windows machine and i found like it did almost too much and it was and i was always asking for like a lot of money i'm just and i'm just like what am i actually paying for and sometimes they'll install stuff extra stuff as well that can be really annoying honestly doing java updates used to be like that (laughs) Or they'd install all this extra crap. But then I found out that I forget what I was using. It it was it was something free. Uh, but it was installing spyware on my computer. And I was just like, no more. I actually use Windows Defender. You know, I know that uh I think my mom recently turned McAfee off because they were asking for a lot of money. Uh she was using like a free version and they just started saying, give us money, and she was like, No. I you know, I don't feel that you necessarily have to use something on your home computer, but you should be then very careful about what you're doing. For instance, when you're talking about downloading patterns, my God, the number of knitting patterns that I download in a week's time is ridiculous uh, because I, I knit as a hobby. I have more knitting patterns than I will ever use. Same with recipes. But I'm always careful about what sites I go to. I don't go to just any site. Uh, so if something's like, ooh, free knitting, you know, if I see something like on Pinterest or whatever, like, I don't, I don't download from sites that I don't know. And I always make sure that I am actually on that site before I download. You know, when we were talking about social media earlier, not being on social media is a great idea if you can do that. Because, or, or even just locking down your social media and being friends only and not adding everybody who wants to add you and all that sort of thing, just because you'll get fewer of these links spewed your way that way. Yeah. And also, I, I highly recommend, recommend if you can looking at what your router may offer. Like, um, James has a ubiquity dream router. I have an Eero and they have a security functionality where they will try to keep a list of here are the known sites that will cause issues and 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 they will try to keep it blocked i mean you can also do things like next dns i think i think cloudflare has a malware blocking so there are some things you can do as to protect yourself on your router and i highly recommend those as well or even just as a browser extension uh, if you're using Chrome or something like that, you know, a lot of times you can put like uBlock 
or it's it's various. It's gone through a billion uh, reiterations. Uh, what do I use right now? U block origin is what I'm using, and so that will uh, keep you from going to certain sites, and it'll also keep ads off at least a lot of ads uh, off the sites you visit. And a lot of times, it's the ads that you click that are the problem. Oh yeah, because they're not always checking the ad agencies, and like ads will come through. And I I think I know over time they're trying to work on this, but sometimes an ad will actually inject some bad code into the site if the ad network yep. allows it. So there's sometimes like, I I forget there was a high profile site that had an ad and the ad was downloading malware. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you keep those off, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you'll go to these sites and they'll go, oh, I see you have an ad blocker installed. <laughs> Please consider why. And it's like, how do I know that you're vetting your ads? I don't. So that's why I have this here. I never want to see your ads. It's it's one of the reasons I've run a pie hole. So look, so my my ubiquity router now look is a ubiquity router right for everyone? Probably not. What I would say is um, I'm actually very impressed with TP Link. I've got to give him a little Me bit. Too. Of TP yeah. Link decos. Um, but I think they call it Home Guard, but it's on all of the. I think it's on the higher end. Uh, but when I say higher end, I don't mean like really high end. I think it's on like, like the M5s and above have it. And that will do, now correct me if I'm wrong, slash the term is um, IDS intrusion detection and IPS intrusion prevention systems. And they tend to yeah. be, that's that's the technical term. And what they're doing is scanning the network traffic. Now, on things like the Ubiquity and good routers, uh, do you know what? Probably best tip I can give people, uh, and do, tell me if you disagree with this one, slash. I, I want to do a whole episode on this with, with someone who knows Wi-Fi uh, better than I do. But swapping out your ISP's CRUD standard router that's probably got like a, a, a the same chip as a 286 yeah. and has no protection, you don't you don't know when it's been updated. Swapping that out for something, even a lower end deco, is a, a really good investment for your network security. Yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Pi Hole, if you have a Raspberry Pi, if you get your hands on a Raspberry Pi and have the uh, interest to learn, but Pi Hole, because it's DNS-based blocking. I love I that love. name. <laughs> it's a great name, isn't it? It's wonderful. I like yeah. James's Pi Hole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, dear. Um, and it, it, it doesn't come across that same limitation that like Ublock does because the sites don't know that there's anything. As far as they're concerned, oh, it just can't find the DNS entry for my ad. So it's not going to load, which is great. Now, I mean, are we saying that you need to go out and get a really high-end firewall at home? No. No. Although, what is probably worth noting is if you've got an old PC and you want to upgrade your network security, seriously consider PFSense. If you want to learn how to do firewalls, put a PFSense on an old PC. All you need is two network, uh, two, um, a, a, a PC with two network ports. Now, you know, if it's got expansion cards, just pop a decent network card in and you're good to go. I will say I am impressed with Firewalla. It it's it's with an A on the end. It, they're expensive. I but I've been eyeing some Firewallas because it goes between the router and the modem, and then it does a lot of like your DHCP and stuff like that. There's some cool stuff on that, and it's a consumer grade firewall. So there's some cool things and innovations happening out there, and I'm. Pretty impressed. Anyway, I could talk about that stuff forever. Yeah, no, I actually hadn't heard of that, and I'm taking a look at it now, and 
dang. And they they have a version that's actually not all that expensive. I might be upgrading this year, but I'm trying not to buy any, any hardware for the next six months to a year because of budgets. <laughs> but, you know, on a on a tangent from that, let's go from the home into our pockets and let's look at our phones because our phone is our computer. And there's a lot to be said about device security and especially your phone. So your phone has a passcode on it. And depending on how advanced you go, it could be four digits, six digits, if you have a passcode on it, I hope you do, or even an alphanumeric passcode. And also some phones will have fingerprints, will have facial recognition. There's a lot of things they're working on with those. But your passcode can give access to a lot of people if they have your device. So there's a lot of, so be mindful of if you leave your phone out somewhere, if you go to a bar, you go to a restaurant and leave your phone out, be mindful of if you're not looking Someone could swipe mm-hmm. your your phone. So the Wall Street Journal has an article that has come out recently, and it's been kind of an interesting article. It's and on the surface, it sounds like they're making a big deal out of nothing. I think it does make people think a lot about the fact of when you're putting your your passcode in, someone could be watching you. And there's been some cases where they've actually seen people recording behind over the shoulder, very inconspicuously. People put in their, their their passcode in, and then when that person puts their phone on, on the counter at the bar, they will then swipe the phone. They'll have already had the passcode, and then they can then log in. And I did not realize it till today. I can change the password to my iCloud with just my phone's passcode. I don't even need to know my iCloud password if it's signed in. And there's a lot of oh wow things, and like a lot of these banks. In different apps that we all will say, hey, remember my password, sign me in automatically. Even my password manager, there's the ability to log in with your device's passcode has a backup. And your passcode is very important. So what is your take on this? Because I think it is definitely a thing to be mindful of when you're entering your passcode, who's watching? Yeah. I think probably the best way to lock and unlock your phone is to use a fingerprint. And there's and there's a reason for that. So let's say if you've got a passcode or a PIN, again, somebody can can see it like that. They'll see what you're entering or whatever. Particularly since a lot of people, like with passwords, have the same PIN for everything. Now sometimes it'll say when I when I go to unlock my phone, it'll say, oh, put your PIN in instead of your fingerprint, because I've unlocked it a lot recently. So I don't think you can get 100% away from the whole passcode thing on a phone, but it shouldn't be your only line of defense, you know, either that or a password. Another thing that I don't suggest that people do, and this is a little bit of paranoia on my part, but think about it, face unlocking. First of all, if I put on my glasses, all of a sudden my face unlocking may not work. Second of all, or maybe I'm just having a bad day like that. It might not recognize my face. When I grew a beard, my facial recognition, that didn't work anymore. So, um, and, and something as small as that can wreck your facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another problem with it is, say you get pulled over by the police they can force you to unlock your phone against your will just by pointing it back at you. And then all of a sudden they've got all your crap. Now, maybe that, you know, maybe a lot of people would say to that, well, if you have nothing, you know, if you haven't done anything wrong, then you have it. 
But you know what? There's a whole bunch of us. You know, right now in Tennessee, you can be arrested for being a trans person. Absolutely. If if somebody doesn't think that – if somebody basically says that person's in drag because they're wearing the clothes that fit their identity, there you go. I'm not sure if the governor signed that one, but I know it was passed by the legislature. So – and and then the police could take your phone, unlock it, and they've got your everything, and you didn't consent. But it doesn't matter because can I count not counter that because I I tend to agree. But you've made a very good point that not and I think not all face recognition systems are created equal. If your phone has a fingerprint, that's reader, also true. Yeah, yeah, use it. So this is specific to iPhones, and it's also the case with Touch ID. Because they can force your finger onto the Touch ID sensor. They could, yes. It's just a little harder. It's just a little harder, and it, it becomes that becomes more of an issue for them because that's that's much more of a um, coercion. But first of all, Apple's Face ID is very different to a lot of other systems because it's using an infrared scanner. It's trying it's trying to do a lot more. I've I've got to say, if I take my glasses off now and try and unlock my phone, no problem. If I put them back on, I've not had to do any extra training for that. It does work. So credit to Apple for getting Face ID right, which is probably why it didn't come to iPhones for a while, because Apple are pretty good at not bringing things to market until they're ready. Some people say, oh, that's a failure of Apple, but I disagree. But one thing you can do on your iPhone, if you're going to hand over your phone, I think if you effectively, I think if, let me just try this, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, I've just... Hold on, I've just turned off my phone by mistake. But if you put it into a... I just initiated emergency calling of mine. <laughs> well, the thing is, if you if you can if you initiate emergency calling but cancel it straight away, by doing that, you can it then disables biometrics, so your passcode will be required. So if you're going to hand your phone over quickly, do that, and it will lock out the biometrics. Oh, that's good to know. I think that's only Apple, though. I don't. I don't know if mine that is that way. Um, wait, I will see if I can find out and put stuff, uh, anything in the show notes about how to and for, uh, how to disable biometrics on an Android phone. That is something I. I would hope again. I say I'd hope Google, but it doesn't necessarily come down to Google. Well, and one thing that throws a wrench in all this stuff is face mask. I wear face masks still. I wear face masks, especially at work. Because I've had customers be like, I have COVID. And I'm like, okay, then I'm wearing a face mask. So I don't get it because it's still out there. And so face ID causes an issue with face masks. Apple has worked on this on my phone, uses my watch on phones later than my phone. It actually uses the facial recognition and also quick tangent I've had to reinitiate face ID be- training on mine because as my face has been changing in transition, yeah. my phone doesn't recognize who I am anymore. So it now does, but I've had to redo it because my face has changed quite a lot in the last uh, two to three years. But yeah, face masks do cause an issue where you may have to enter. And every once in a while, I'm at work, not doing things that are not work, but like a associate may text me or I need to look up something for a service counter that I need to pick up from another place. And I use my phone as a note and my phone will just lock. And I'm not, I will sometimes put it in there, but it, 
this article has made me think about who could be watching while I enter that passcode. And I think that is probably, I think, one of the biggest takeaways from this article is be mindful of who's around when you do it. And can I implore everybody, please, if you're going to have a passcode, when you have a passcode, please use alphanumeric passcodes longer than six digits. And don't, and do you, I don't know if it's still a thing on Android, don't use a pattern unlock. Yeah, because the, yeah, those are very easy, A, to shoulder surf, and B, sometimes you can still see the ghost of it. I haven't used that in so long just because of that. Exactly. The, the other thing that's worth mentioning is, look, end of the day, and I think this is a fair thing with any security, once someone gets physical access to any device, be that your work Windows laptop, be that your iPhone, your iPad, your Android phone, anything like that, once they've got physical access, a lot of the game for them is already won. Yeah. You know, and is it worth, it's worth probably also mentioning on that subject. I don't know if wind, I don't know if Windows 10 home off, uh, Windows 11 home offices, I will have to double check, but if your device supports whole disk encryption, Turn it on. It, yeah. it, on SSDs, it does not affect performance. Turn it on. Because if someone gets your computer and takes the drive out, now admittedly on, on modern computers, most of the drives are soldered onto the board, but still, it's possible. Enable it. Make sure you've got good, again, the same security practices that you should that you should follow on, that we're talking about on your phone. Make sure you follow them on a computer. You know, I love on Apple Silicon Macs, you can get the keyboards which have got the Touch ID sensor on, so you're not just limited to their laptops with this. This is awesome stuff. But that kind of leads us on to, let's talk authentication, because it's everyone's favourite topic. Let's start with two-factor, because that's a little bit easier to talk about and a little bit less maybe problematic to such give us a primer for two-factor. What do we mean by two-factor auth? Basically, it means using two, or in some cases more, different types of authentication. So a good example is if you have a password to log into a site, but also you have to enter a code from a device, or you have uh, maybe entering a code from a device and your fingerprint or something like that. So it's basically more than just, so the idea is that, and isn't the, usually, the usual sort of pattern, it's something that you know and something that you have. Right, exactly. But password being, or passcode being something you know, your biometrics or the t- um, the uh, the code. Now, I nearly said TOTP then, because not all 2FA is TOTP, and actually, maybe we, we talk about that. I think my biggest point of frustration with two-factor is how many different options there are for two-factor when yes so okay let's hit the elephant in the room sms two-factor what is your view on it because mine is somewhat distrusting because of how easy it is to potentially compromise someone's phone number yeah exactly i mean there are so many people who have the capability to uh either duplicate a sim or even just fool a phone company into thinking they have a certain SIM. So just because your phone is secure and you never let it go and it's chained to your body, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're safe from someone basically being able to snatch uh, SMS-based authentication. It is better than nothing. Some places will just exclusively use that. And it kind of pisses me off because it's, it's just really the most 
prevalent, I would say, kind of multi-factor authentication is that SMS. And it's of all of them, probably the least safe. Now, obviously, if you've got something else, like uh, how how um, my favorite game, um, how Blizzard used to do it with their WoW accounts, they would give you a little tiny device. And what if you lost that? Then you were locked out of your account. So there, you know, that that can be a problem if you've got a token based. These days, a lot of token based authentication is on a phone, but it's not uh, tied to your SIM. It's not tied to your phone number, so it's a little bit more secure than text based. And and yeah, there's two. There's effectively, well, I say two types, but the one that I love is TOTP because TOTP. I think it's time-based one-time password, I think is the correct mm-hmm. acronym there. And that commonly known as Google Authenticator or similar, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. But now I don't use Google Authenticator and Flash might scold me for this. I'm sure he will. I have my TOTP codes inside of 1Password. That's more of a convenience choice, but 1Password can, and other password managers can as well. Uh, but basically, you know, that gives me the option. It means I can use that, but... I think what frustrates me is services like I don't know what Battle.net are using these days. Oh, they're still using the the Battle.net Authenticator. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, so it's a different thing. Steam, yeah, uh, Steam was interesting because for a while, if you tried to get into Steam through the device that had your Authenticator on, you were locked out. Oh, which was yeah, they fixed it. So that now if you're on the device that is the authenticator and you're using the authenticator program, you don't have to use a backup code. But for a while, you had to use a backup code with the Steam authenticator. And I'm like, dudes, it's the authenticator. (laughs) Let me in. Which isn't perfectly secure, but at the same time, it was making it so hard to get into the authenticator that it just it wasn't useful. I think people stopped using it for that reason. Yeah. So they had to to dial it down a little bit and allow you if you're on the device where your authenticator is, they just let you log in. And I um last night had to change one of my services to finally let me use TLTP in an authenticator app. Unfortunately, they would not let me turn off SMS authentication. I was a little perturbed by that. So many banks don't use TOTP. They use SMS. I'm not going to name any names, but I have, I have used so many different banks that all use SMS authentication. I'm like, guys, this is my money. Maybe, maybe use TOTP. There's an episode of Malicious Live Podcast. I'm, I'm just trying to find it a second ago. I may be able to find it by the time this episode goes out, but it was a really good episode on SMS hijacking that it may sound like it'll never happen to me, but, th- but it does. this this podcast interviewed a restaurant owner who basically had his entire finances of his restaurant obliterated because of the different services that were tied to his phone number. And it is just something that like it, somebody has a will, they will find a way. And it's why SMS is probably one of the least secure or if you're traveling out of the country and you're trying to access a service that uses SMS, you're locked out of your account. <laughs> you get back to the country. 
Yeah, unless you have international SMS, yeah, enabled. Which you didn't, and like we had problems with. I mean, I'll name it, Twitch. Twitch, stop making SMS a requirement. Let us use TOTP. Oh, I oh, I was gonna say one of the things I do do is I've I've been made fun of a little bit because I tend to put my phone number and my signature. It's otherwise out there on the net. It's not tied to my phone. I use a Google phone number or a Google voice number. And I use it, I use different ones for personal and business because now that doesn't necessarily make it more secure for authentication purposes, but it means that somebody can't duplicate my SIM and immediately right. have access to those passcodes. But, but going back to my earlier point, before we move on to sort of passwords, <laughs> about banks if a banks so i think for now speaking to someone who used to work for a bank one of the reasons that banks do all this convoluted stuff is because people were using really simple passwords and were getting their passwords compromised so they thought oh instead of you know helping like making minimum password requirements or adding proper standards compliant two-factor we'll bolt all this stuff on like card readers uh, the rsa token things were then compromised yeah. please if you're gonna off if you're gonna do two-factor use a standard space or we'll come to something later start adopting something start adopting passwordless but before we get to passwordless let's talk passwords my password is one two three. I mean, b- b- passwords the <laughs> very that's late- my password my luggage one, two, three, four, five. It's amazing. So yeah, I love that. Or one six three zero nine to access the Starship's command system. This is not a secure password. So going back in time to when computers in the early days of computing, passwords did weren't really a thing. People did, you know, they weren't online, so people were using the same password everywhere. Hell, I did for a while. Oh, yeah, I did. I'm not going to lie. I did. Absolutely. I do too. And now it's out there on the dark web. So that that password that I used to use everywhere. So l- let's start on the... Because con- before we start, before we talk about password strength, because that's important as well, why is it important to use a different password for... I mean, it might be obvious, but let's just clear this up. Why should you not be using the same password for your bank as you are for your email? Yeah, so very simply, if somebody hacks into one, then they've got access to the other. And so many places use an email address as the login. So it's like, if you use the same password for, even if you have, like, I have 6,000 email accounts, some of them use the same password as others of them. But my main email account that everybody knows about the one that I do use as a login several places, that's got its own password and I change it every once in a while. Because, yeah, I don't want anybody getting access to my bank because they had access to uh, to my email or vice versa. And I assume your email is 2FA'd as well. To just have uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do use I do use two FA on all my email accounts. It, it's kind of funny because I was given an email account for this one company I worked with, but it was a Gmail account, and it was for it was for specific things. It wasn't my company email account. It was just you had to use it for. They were using Google for something I forget what. And when I left the company, they tried to take it back, 
And I was like, excuse me, that has my name on it. I don't want you taking it. There was nothing in that email account that you should want. And so I slapped two-factor authentication on it, and they stopped trying. And that's also why I recommend masked email. I am now, for the most part, there's a few places where I will use an email I use somewhere else, but I now use a masked email through either iCloud or Fastmail. I know DuckDuckGo has one, so does Firefox. There's a lot of places now that will offer free masked email where, one, you know that if a company starts emailing you and you're sick and tired of them emailing you and like the unsubscribe button doesn't work or makes you log in somewhere, I can just turn off that email and be done with it. But the other way is that way, if that company has a data breach and all the passwords are revealed, no one can at least tie those passwords with another email account. Yeah, that's very true. I should probably do that, honestly. I haven't. Um, the one thing I do sometimes do is when I sign up for or like when I subscribe to something, uh, with my email address, a lot of times this doesn't work everywhere. But uh, if you put your regular username, like say Bobby, and then put a plus and then some other word, like Bobby plus uh, grocery store or something like that, if you're signing up for a grocery store's emails, that way, if you get email from some other place to that email address, you know they sold your. Uh, email address that certainly works with google i I know it works with fastmail i think it works with um microsoft email i think it works with outlook and um it depends on the place where you're signing up honestly what their email server is like for instance when i lived in uh alaska i tried to do that with the electric company uh emails and they couldn't it, it didn't work. They couldn't send us email to that email address, and it was completely them. It wasn't me. That's so. very interesting. That, that's a problem because pluses in email addresses are part of the RFC standard for email. I actually looked into it this. It is. Yes, it is. Yeah. But uh, there, are, there are some email servers that just don't accept it. I don't think iCloud uses it, unless I'm wrong, but I just tried looking it up, and I don't think that they support it. Uh, they should. They should. I'd be really surprised if they didn't because they will say use hide my email, which, you know, great. But but if you don't want to do that, look, you know, I I mean, we're going to obviously say, you know, fast mail is wonderful for email because obviously we've had them on the show. One thing I love, by the way, about fast mail is because obviously when you're logging into your email or calendars and stuff, then you're obviously giving your credentials to apps or services. Well, App specific passwords or, you know, uh, uh, OAuth type authentication is awesome. What I love about Fastmail is when you go and create an app specific password, you can tell it what services you want it to access to. So, for example, for our WordPress instance, we need to be able to send mail from it. Well, what I've done is I've created an app specific password that only has SMTP sending rights. It can't read anything from the account, it can just send email. So, right. very handy. Let's talk because obviously we let's talk password strength and password managers because this is important. So password strength. Now people probably used to think that adding maybe numbers to the end of a common word would protect them, but the problem we have about five minutes, yeah, yeah, exactly because those words are in dictionaries and these are you know people or tools you being used to brute force passwords are going through those dictionaries and they know to add numbers because there's only so many numbers now. 
if you're handling your passwords yourself and you're not using a password manager, you know, I st- going back to XKCD, that wonderful comic of using a phrase. So what is it? Correct horse battery staple. Well, yeah, but then all these people started using that exact password. Missing the point entirely. Like, yeah. so, but using a phrase, like we talk about special characters. Well, here's a good tip. Unless you're, the service you're using is really dumb and they restrict what special characters you can use. Cause I've seen that. Yes. A space is a perfectly valid special character because that starts to turn phrases. You know, I mean, look, some of my passwords, some of my, co- I won't tell anyone, but they are, of course, but some of my passwords uh, that I need to use that can't be my password manager and can't be random are multiple word, multiple word phrases with spaces, capitalization, and a couple of numbers. And that is one of the things we, we probably need to talk about is a concept called password entropy. I, I think possibly the best translation of, of password entropy, uh, and we'll get Sash to explain this a little bit more detail, but very simply put, password entropy kind of relates to the complexity of your password because length of password is not the only thing that matters. Can you can you help our audience understand what we mean by entropy in this case? Right. Entropy basically calculates how difficult it is to predict a password. So what you want to do to get more entropy in your password is uh there there's there's basically a couple of different ways to do this. If you're doing it yourself with your brain, uh, your think meat, as we call it, what you will do is just sprinkle a lot of different types of characters in it. So what they call special characters. So like slashes, backslashes, uh, tildes, uh, you know, the different types of quotes, commas, spaces even. And, uh, and that will generate more entropy. You can also use a password generator that picks up entropy from mouse movements and stuff like that. And I actually kind of started to go into it and then kind of veered off. But what you can do is if you have a password calculator, like the one in KeePass, for instance, you, it'll say, Oh, move your mouse a bunch of times and generate more entropy. And what that does is it will generate randomness based on how it is that you're moving your mouse, which is something that somebody couldn't guess. And that will manifest as the number of special characters, uh, perhaps if you've told it to do this, the number of characters in general. So if you want to have, for instance, a really strong password, then you'll set it to something 16 characters or above, and then you know, wiggle your mouse a whole bunch for the password generator and then say, yep, go ahead and generate a password and it will generate something truly horrendous. The only good thing about this is that most password safes will allow you to just cut and paste for the password safe into your browser or whatever else you're logging into so that you never have to remember those passwords. Because of course, that's the big problem with passwords is that if they're strong, they're impossible to remember. And that's always been something that I've always seen as I've set up different IT networks is that because a user thinks, oh, I'm going to add like this number here, or I'm going to add like this phrase here that no one can guess, 
but you end up using, we're not as random as we think we are. You may be the one who adds cat to your pastor manager, but so are so many other people. And a lot of hackers know some of the most commonly used phrases because they also will look at like passwords that have been cracked already and passwords that have been leaked and have that in their password cracking software as some of the most commonly used phrases. And that's, that's part of you. You want to try to utilize a computer to be more random than we are. I mean, I'm a pretty random person, but not as random as these generators. Well, what really gets me is after, and, and I know we had talked about Randall Monroe's XKCD comic where he talks about, you know, just use four words that have really nothing to do with each other, but that you will remember. So correct horse battery staple. Do you know, everyone went out and made their password correct horse battery staple. And it's like, no, you idiots. That was not the point of this. I know some people in my life who will use their personal details as their password. And I'm like, say, for instance, if you make your PayPal password that when someone sees your shipping address to send you your thing from eBay, they might try your street address. That's your password there. And yeah. I've just gone into, so uh, we talked about, you know, we use one password and their password generator. One of the options they have is, you know, they have smart password. They have random password. They have memorable password and we have pin codes. I like that they can generate pin codes for you as well, but I've just gone into memorable memorable password. And this is a great example of that entropy concept. So what you can choose is you can choose how many words, what the separator between those words is, and that can be hyphens, spaces, periods, commas, underscore numbers, or numbers and symbols. So you can add even more entropy by having numbers and symbols. And so I've got mine set at numbers. And this is not a password I'm going to use anywhere. It also allows for capitalization uh, and four words. So the password it's just generated is lowercase ungainly, the number four, uppercase unruly, uh, six, lowercase cameo, nine, lowercase capo capo completely unrelated words but you might 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 actually be able to remember that but again the whole point is this is stored in your password manager right so you don't have to remember it but you could well the, the problem so one of the reasons that password i think password entropy is so important in my experience is when you say to people, okay, you need to make your password strong by including this, this, and this. My, I think my dad's a prime example of password, doing password entropy in the wrong way. When he was working, he would use my, now he's not working anymore. So all these system accounts have been shut down. He would use my sister's name and then the month of the year as in the number. So 01, 02, 03, 04. And he would, you know, add like a capital J to my sister's name. And he thought that that was a secure password because, you know, it was changing every month. I'm like, no, like anyone will know you, your daughter's name. You have, you talk about your daughter at work, you know, yeah. when my daughter, when my sister had her son, my nephew, of course they talked about it. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't take long. That's a name. So a password dictionary attack only needs to find that name and then go through a very small combination of numbers. Yeah. To get there. So entropy in this case, or making your passwords complex and random is important. Let's let's be really, really honest. You should generally if you if you've got the tools to generate a strong password on your machine, and there are, you know, key passes free, uh, there's there's online generators. Even the folks at one password have a free online generator. 
Yeah. Please use those to generate your entropy passwords. Don't try and make up random passwords yourself. And one of my favorite tools is random.org. They have so many different things, integer strings, but they have a password generator and they try to, to create as far as they can, truly random passwords. And one other thing to, to think about is the longer your password is, the more time it takes for a computer to try to brute force through it. And part of, and that's part of the equation that, that if you have a short password, it takes less time. And after a certain point, c- computers may give up on certain people because if they can't, because of how long the, the password is. Well, that I wouldn't even say, yes, you're right. But just a long password full of dictionary words like my cat's name is Derek is not a secure password, but it's a long no. password. No, no. That's what we're talking about is it you can actually have a shorter password in some cases can actually be more secure. Yeah. And am I right that the one password memorable passwords tries to use less common words? Yeah. In their generator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They they are and and they have an option to not use full words as well. You can turn that off. Again, you know, ideally you want to, if if you've got a good password manager, I mean me and Jay are big one password fans. Obviously, uh, Alexander's a big fan of KeePass. Find the right tool for you. As we said, I think before, as long as it's not LastPass, right? <laughs> right. I'll actually tell you the 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 biggest problem I have with passwords. Mm. Consider if you work for a company, as many companies do, based on uh, Windows. If you are still using passwords for Windows, which a lot of companies are like I don't at home. I use uh, a combination of my face and a pin, depending on which uh, computer it is. But many companies at work are using Windows and they're using passwords. Here's the problem: if you have a truly random, gener- randomly generated password with you know the proper amount of entropy, length, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you're screwed. Because you're not going to remember that password, and there is absolutely no way to use a password safe with your Windows logon password. There's just no way to do it. The only option you have is your password manager's mobile apps, and your company policy might even say, do not store your work credentials in your personal now. Of course, it could be on your company phone, but even then, you're having to pull it up each time. Yeah. I mean, they can't stop me, but here's the thing. Let's say I need to log in in the morning Mm. and I'm like, duh, haven't had my coffee yet or whatever. I'm not going to want to sit there with my phone in my hand going, hey, hey, type, type, type. No way. Exactly. And, And so that's where people's insecure passwords come in because they have to have something that they can remember. I do have a very hard to guess password for my company password, which, you know, I have to change every 90 days because they're not adhering to NIST policy yet. But when I do that, I have a password that I know I will remember. It's almost impossible to guess, but I know I will remember it. And that means that it's not as random as it should be. Yeah. Cause even in the Okta, um, we will link to this, this octave resource that, that we found about, about this because I think it's has some phenomenal guidelines for 
Because one thing that I love is they said it's tempting to build on these rules and make guidelines stricter. Unfortunately, employees find workarounds. They reuse passwords, write them down, or share them, but they can't remember them easily. And that's sticky note on the bottom of the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Alexander makes a very, very good point. At this point, we should be looking. Now, the, the actual next challenge, but, but, but you might think, oh, it's only my Windows password. But if you're in a, a, a corporate environment that has started to use Active Direct, um, Azure AD, Azure Active Directory, it's not just your Windows password. It is a password to your Microsoft 365 account, which is yeah. a absolute vector of attack. And I implore companies doing that, switch to allow Windows hello. Allow uh, passwordless login. My when I had Windows on this Mac, I did choose to sign in through my Microsoft account, and I used the Microsoft Authenticator passwordless passwordless option to log in. I had to have a pin in case I ever failed. Um, I think that's probably something you, similar to what you've got, Alexander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a much better option. Businesses, please don't discount biometrics and Windows Hello. It is not scary. It is far better than trusting your users to generate or choose their own passwords. Yeah, and since most laptops, which is what most people are using, particularly if they work from home, since almost all laptops are shipped with cameras, it's not like it's not like it's weird. You know, just use just enable the camera and let them use the camera to, to log in. The only problem is it has to be a Windows Hello. It, I think it has to have the IR. Oh yeah, yeah. It has to, yeah. which a lot of laptops are shipping with. I know a lot of uh, Lenovo machines ship with fingerprint readers. I, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of um, of Lenovo's laptops. I don't think my new laptop that I just got today uh, has the Logitech Brio has that. I used to use that when I oh. had that on my gaming machine. I would use the Brio along into the machine. And one thing to think about that. Because this is huge. Your password can be a, a a vector into all of the data in your company. Like my password to, at work. I guard this with my life because all the data it has access to. And some of these data breaches have been because of insecure passwords, reused passwords, that one hacker got into a company and was able to look at all this stuff. So the fact the fact that we're a lot of our systems are more interconnected comes with a huge price, which is why password security is essential that you may not realize what your employees have access to and what a compromised password somewhere will lead to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, look, as a final point on this whole concept of authentication, uh, you know, we may be taking this off to, you know, to the corporate levels, but again, Make sure that access controls are applied appropriately. If someone leaves a project, you dang well make sure that they lose access to those files. It's it's basic, but correct me if I'm wrong, but policy should always be the least amount of access required to do the job. And perhaps we should have another show on zero trust. Yes. I'm lo- yeah, I'm up for zero trust. Absolutely. I love zero trust. I... I am a huge zero trust hobbyist, so let's do it. Let's let's plan that in sometime, and we'll we'll talk about it because you know we're talking about things like Duo, like Okta, Collide is one that I wish I was actually in I'm not sure the if ability is to zero trust. I don't think it Collide is. Is, is it because Collide? What they will do is say your device is not updated, 
it will actually block access to the services oh, you need. Okay, right. So it is part of the, the zero, and it's and it'll help walk your employees through what they need to do to update to bring themselves into, into compliance automatically. And I'd love it. Yeah, I, no, Jay's right. I I was thinking of something else. Jay's right. And do you know what's really cool about that? It all happens through a Slack chat. Oh wow! So it's not complicated. It's really uh, I, we've heard it promoted on so many podcasts. Yeah, let let's come back and do a. a uh, I'm I'm thinking of an episode. Uh, I'm thinking of an episode. Trust no one. Or, trust <laughs> or, 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 or how about Coca Cola Zero Trust? Oh God! <laughs> I might have to come over there and hurt you. <laughs> oh dear! And on that, let's move on. I I'm going to be really honest. I advocate strongly again. Oh no, I'm not. No, no. Let me rephrase it because actually, no, I don't. I was going to say I advocate against using your browser's password manager, but that depends what it's backed onto. Because if it's backed onto something that actually has a proper store and a proper keychain, great. Like, look, iCloud keychain. If you're an entirely in the Apple's ecosystem, iCloud keychain is actually really quite good uh, for a password manager. But the point is, some sort of password store that is not a Word document, that is not a yeah. notebook. I mean, uh, Sashi, have you ever been into a store and seen those password notebooks that are on sale? Yes. Yeah. And I I know somebody who uses one, and honestly, they're probably fine. They're probably safe because, again, they limit their presence online and that kind of thing. But it, it's like, in general, it's so much easier to screw up, too, entering it. It's like, no, just use a password manager. But the thing is that, you know, particularly, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone here because I'm getting up there in years myself, but once you get to a certain age and you're starting to forget things, and then maybe the technology isn't something that you should adopt at this point. Um, you know, maybe you're just fine writing it down somewhere, especially if it's secure. But definitely if you work for, you know, a business. I, I actually just, at my place of work, I'm not allowed to install anything on my laptop. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to get to my non-cloud? And, and anyway, they don't let you go to cloud services there, which is good. But it's like, how do I get to my password manager? And I actually went and installed a portable version of my regular password manager. I don't have the same database. I don't have access to that. And that's fine. I, I'm just using a new database just for work. But I was like, I'm never going to be able to remember this password that I'm setting for this site. I'm not allowed to, you know, sync with, uh, with a cloud. So what the heck am I going to do? And I finally just installed a portable version of my password manager that didn't inquire or didn't require me to have root access. Right. Am I, now, are you okay? I mean, you're using KeePass, right? Yeah, I do use KeePass. Uh, it doesn't have a cloud presence. I do store my database in the cloud, uh, I will admit, which isn't the most secure thing. What if someone hacks into my cloud? And my answer for that is, A, on the particular cloud storage that I'm using, I definitely do have 2FA. And then on top of it, I'm securing my KeePass database with uh, a key. Yeah, it's encrypted. It's not like, again, it's not a Word document. This is, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's not a Word It's encrypted. Yeah. Uh, and by yeah, the way, putting encrypted. a password on your Word document is not encryption. That is not encryption. Shoot! I need to modify my password. 
But it is, it's very interesting to say, because look, we do use a cloud password manager. We use one password. We actually, I have one password families and Jay's part of that. And, and you know, actually I've got a few people on there because, you know, particularly it helps to share passwords. And I think the phrase we always come to is security versus convenience, yeah. right? You would make that threat assessment. Now, there's one thing that I, I, I trust the folks at one password, mostly because they can't read that data in the same way that Sashi's key pass database is encrypted so is my one password database it's encrypted actually in a lot better way than last pass ever was bye bye <laughs> last pass bye bye last pass like yes. oh dear that was the last pass that we gave him oh don't. oh so, jay oh no that's just did you see why i worry about like yeah anyway um but there is look here's the interesting thing not having cloud services makes a lot of sense, particularly in certain environments where you're in uh, SOC, SOC 2 compliant stuff. If the service you're using isn't SOC 2 compliant, that's a whole standard, or isn't GDPR or HIPAA compliant, you can't use them. I think one yep. password is on those. I believe they are, but that's beside the point. There are great, and this is maybe something for businesses to consider, great self-hosted tools by the likes of Bitvorden, where it can be an internally hosted tool. That's great. And look, Bitvorden, their free offering is actually really good. Their paid offering is even better. Here's a question. Is it fair to say that, you know, obviously you mentioned like uh, KeePass doesn't have a, a cloud component. Do, do they do they have browser extensions these days? Because I remember that was one they big do. thing they, they do now. Okay, they didn't yeah, when they I remember. Yeah, they do now. I'm actually not using any of their browser extensions. I just cut and paste my passwords, okay. but they do have them. And there is definitely a way to, to automate entering your password and that kind of thing. And again, that in itself, you know, that's something to be aware of. You know, that can be hijacked. Although I think browser extension True. security has gotten a lot better in, in the recent years, but it's probably fair to say you pay, you get what you pay for and not all, again, I know KeyPass, KeyPass has a really good reputation. It's very well respected, very favoured in the industry. But does that mean that the free password manager, your antivirus tool might be giving you, or you know, maybe some homegrown one that's never been audited, are they as secure? Probably not. So you do need to do your homework. Um, yeah. It's interesting because NextCloud that we're using now has the ability to have a password manager. I'm like, hmm... I don't want to be dealing with that. I, I just no. want to use uh, no. something I trust. I use uh, a note-taking, and this isn't free, but I use a note-taking system called Evernote. And I was an early adopter, and I just – I love that damn thing. But one of the things they'll say is, oh, it can be a password vault for you. And there, there have been a couple of situations where I've encrypted a note or a part of a note, and that's fine. It, you know, it's it's got maybe something a little more sensitive in it, but I would never use it for a password vault because I don't necessarily have control over that data, and I'm not a hundred percent sure how safe my data is going to be there. So I'm not going to use even an encrypted note for something that's super sensitive, like my bank password, etc. So yeah, even like. One thing I like about 1Password is you can send a link that's locked down to somebody, but then it has like restrictions on like how many times they can view it. That even like they have to have authenticate. There's a lot of different things you can add. It's not just sending the information in plain text somewhere, but they actually have to 
access it in a secure way. Because yeah. I think we've all been at companies where they ask to send passwords through email, and you're mm-hmm. like, no! No, or SMS, or I remember working in a healthcare provider, not provider, but healthcare IT, and like, oh yeah, keep just WhatsApp as the password to this crucial IT system. Actually, the bet that this, this brings me on, before we move into passwords, this brings me into one thing about passwords. Don't share your passwords. What I mean by that is, if at all possible, you should have unique passwords for every person accessing a particular system. Now, sometimes that's not possible. So, you know, for example, on, on Mastodon accounts, they are behind 2FA, by the way, but our Mastodon account for CrossWires, me and Jay have to share that. But we do that in a secure way. I'm talking about texting passwords or sharing the password just verbally. Nadine Dovis, an MP in Miss, in Miss, or she, no, I think she still is an MP, unfortunately. She got into trouble and she's never faced with consequences of this, by the way. She was sharing her government password with the staffers in her office, leaving passwords on pass, on, on sticky notes and things like that. Again, it's really important that we don't share passwords as much as we possibly can. Because you also want to be able to audit who logged into the system at what time, because if you're sharing passwords, you can't tell that. Well, and let's say somebody does something illegal or even just wrong, like uh, erasing files by accident or whatever on one of your systems. We we actually had in one company I worked for, and it was a security vendor, so this was really annoying. We had one logged in, login for our managed servers, and there was this one point where somebody who was incompetent and shouldn't have been on the server at all had the password, went in, erased a bunch of files, impacted customers, and it was really hard to prove who it was. I eventually had to go in with some, uh, some better auditing tools and I could, I could prove it was him based on the time of day. And that was it because everybody had the same password. I mean, look, this healthcare, this healthcare, so it was the, the responsible party was a healthcare provider. We were providing a system. I won't go into any details, but this was a bunch of nurses accessing a system for drug administration. So imagine how important that is to be audible, auditable and right, yeah? Right. They were sharing a password between, <sighs> Yeah, I think no. it was something like 50 nurses. We caught, do you know why they were doing it? Because they didn't want to pay the licensing fees for yeah. the users. Some of these uh, high-profile data breaches are because they shared a password to a specific system and, oh, somebody wrote down that password in a plain text file on another system. They gain access to that, gain access to that, and boom, it's game over. It's game over, dude. Game over. So that brings us a good movie. So, that brings us on to our last sort of topic is passwordless. Now that doesn't mean no password. It doesn't mean no authentication. Cause that's a, right. That would be disastrous. That would be like, yeah. Oh, you gotta help it's yourself. It's like 1970. <laughs> Go to org. It's access to my home VPN and you can just log in and have access to all my files. <laughs> But what what are we talking about here, Sash? Because passwordless is is something that's coming along. Apple Apple call this pass keys, and I I think it's wonderful. I, I I've used it already a little bit, and I think it's just it's just fantastic. What what are we talking about when we say passwordless? 
Uh, it, it basically means using something else besides a password. So usually some kind of, when we think of multi-factor authentication, it's those other factors. So for instance, using your fingerprint to log in or using a retina scan or uh, or even an SMS code, something that's not a password. And very often when you're doing that, you've got more than one type. So it'll be like a fingerprint and a retina scan or a fingerprint and some other kind of one-time password, something like that. And and we're seeing Miss Navi ID bin, but you'll have, you know, your traditional username or, you know, your credential. I mean, yeah, so I've had Apple's implementation it will use face id or touch id whatever's available on the device it will then log you in and and the idea is that that's a credential for you based on something physically you have so you don't have to remember a password um it also of course means it's much easier to give people unique access because everyone's credentials are different because of the different biometrics it right. also means that you know the the chances your your fingerprint can't be leaked your fingerprint can't end up on the dark web because it's your fingerprint, right? It's right. Like even if somebody takes my fingerprints, like the FBI, even if they got hacked, my fingerprint card wouldn't be useful to a hacker. Yeah. And I know like some systems require a relatively living um, finger to access it. Like, like it tries to look, look for actual stuff going on there. And I was actually listening to the one password podcast about this. And one interesting idea about password lists, less friction for the users. In many regards, these systems are being designed where you will actually probably never even see the login screen. It'll happen that quickly that when you go to the site, it'll be like, okay, you're here. Boom. You're already on the site. So I was watching a movie the other night, uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yes. And just that, that one scene where the, the guy keeps smashing faces against the retina scanner, trying to get the right one after he's knocked yes. everybody out. And I was just thinking, yeah, you know, or, or like when Loki steals the guy's eyeball to do the retina scan and, and <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, you can steal these things, but you've got to be pretty determined. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I'm hoping like, more and more people will use this this password list entry because like for instance at work one of the things that's a huge pain point is one they want to change our passwords every 90 days and i hate that and the other regard is i have to enter the same password like 85 times a day a system i log into it authenticates on the on the login screen something messes up on their single sign on and then i have to log in again and I keep yeah. having to log in multiple times. And it would be just great if I could literally have a, a open up my the device at work, scan my phone at the screen. It it says, okay, I see that you're there and log in. And then that way I don't have to enter the password. And then I could also maybe make this password, I'll just say a little bit longer than what it is right now because I was trying to use unique passwords there. But because of the fact mm-hmm. I'm in very time critical moments i don't have time to open up my phone every single time read off the password maybe do it the wrong because there are times i literally have seconds to get into a system because of corporate's metrics so my password has to be a little less secure unfortunately and it's there's a lot of things where i hope that my employer if i'm still there with them obviously because i'm looking for a job to be in england i mean that's really the reason why i can but Hopefully by the time that they 
that this becomes a standard, no, I've incorporated that because I think the any amount of friction I've had with like with associates whose password expires mm-hmm. after ninety three days, and they have to go back in again and fix it. This would definitely make it where you just tell your associate because a lot of them have phones. Point it at here, register the password to your phone. Oh, I was I was gonna say I I'm gonna tell you a little secret about Windows Server. Go on. Out of the box now. This is this is the way I've seen it at like several different companies I've worked at. They tell you, okay, you got to change it every ninety days, and you can't have the last twenty four passwords the same. You can change one character, not at the beginning or the end, but in the middle of the password, and they accept that. Yeah. I can confirm that. Now, here's the thing. The latest NIST guidelines actually say stop enforcing password change because it actually isn't secure. Enforce good password habits rather than password change. Or just get rid of passwords. (laughs) Yeah, or get rid of passwords. But like even my password, I actually used to have a very secure password. And if I could have learned that password, I would have had a password. This password is still unique, but it's not secure enough. Like one password sentence will say, are you sure you want this to be a password? I'm like, I'm sorry, one password. I have to, in this instance, go against your recommendations. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, as, as long as it is very unique, you know, that's fine. But it's just like, yeah, stop, stop making people change their passwords every 90 days. It's ridiculous. Oh, I know, because then associates will every once in a while blurt out what their password is. And I'm like, I didn't just hear this. <laughs> no, no, but that's the point. You know, if you did, uh, yeah, passwordless is going, it removes that human factor. It removes the laziness that comes from having to have multiple passwords. When you're, yeah authentication becomes your biometrics or a physical device. I mean, I love those little YubiKeys. I don't have one, but I think they're wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. When your password becomes physical and becomes all your biometrics, then let me rephrase it. When your authentication becomes that, then it takes away that human factor. And I just wish people do that. I'm aware of time. So let's, let's wrap up. But Sash, if you, if you could, as an opportunity now, give one, key piece of advice to people about how to be better educated about cybersecurity and how to be more aware. What, what should people, what should the takeaway message from our episode today be? It's actually something that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, although we did mention it right at the beginning. And that's don't click on links if you don't absolutely know where they go. Don't don't believe who the what the sender says, you know, even if it's a social site you're on. Always hovering over the link usually helps because you can see what the actual uh, uh, the place is where that link is going. But just don't click on links if you're not 12,000% sure where that link is going because that is really the biggest problem in security. One example of that that I've been warned about heavily is even like Discord has a version of password lists and so does Steam. But what people have found is if they send a, if they try to get into your account and then they get that, that link, they'll send you that specific passwordless link. And then when you hover over that link thinking it's, you're logging into your computer, mm-hmm. you're actually logging into their computer. So yeah, be very careful on that. Yeah. I mean, even that isn't 
you know, even hovering over the link isn't perfect. But it's just just be very careful about what you click on, because that is the biggest thing right there. What One thing that I've always stood by is if I see, hey, I need you, my bank saying I need you to log in, I will go to the bank itself, log in and make sure that the bank itself is saying what it's saying in the email. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And, you know, if you're asked to call a number, don't call the number on a text message or an email. Go onto, you know, onto your banking site, log in, or, you know, um, on the back of your debit card, there should be a number. Call that number. Don't ever call numbers off messages. You know, if some, uh, but one that, but, but, so we joked about going and trying to tackle scammers and we are trying to get better at this. I mean, at the moment, literally, I'm set, setting up a VM on my Steam Deck, which is a Windows VM, so that it's a VM. I can install whatever they want me to install and waste their time even more because then it's completely isolated. Don't install remote access software. I mean, look, I had a policy at one yeah. of the jobs I worked at, the uh, remote management tool we installed. I said, if you detect TeamView were being installed on any com- company computer, so it was that tool we used, remove it. Just uninstall it. Don't let it be installed. Yep. They are, just be mindful. I, I think the phrase trust but verify is probably most important. Anyway. Sash, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been such a great discussion. Yeah, it's been great. Where can people, if people want to find more about you, maybe find uh, or follow you on socials, if you know, if you want to share that, where can people find more about yourself? Uh, well, my personal slash business uh, Twitter is uh, at Lothie, L-O-T-H-I-E. And that's my username in a lot of places. Uh, so looking for that uh, is probably the best thing you can do. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Lagolad, L-A-G-O-L-A-D. Uh, and that's my other username that I use in a lot of places. <laughs> so one of those two. I'm going to ask you, are you a Mastodon yet? I do have a Mastodon, I think, but I'm not really using it. I know a lot of people have moved there from Twitter because Twitter has become a hellhole, but um, I, I'm not really set up on there yet. So, and I got a question: um, Do you want to mention the podcast or not? Yeah, I've been so bad. Uh, finally, I have my audio set up set up again. So I'm probably going to uh, start first of all sending old episodes out, and then uh, hopefully uh, Jay and I can start recording again. If you're up for that, Jay, absolutely. So, uh, but I have a, a podcast about being transgender called Translucidity, and since we've both gone through so many changes in the last, I think it's a year at this point <laughs> since I since we recorded. What's cool is this podcast, you can even tell how like, like he and I are, are changing and like our perspectives on things as we're learning. Yeah. Cause like I remember when I started, I was like a baby trans and I was <laughs> James yeah. has seen my transition from <laughs> during my transition. <laughs> yeah. And that's translucidity one on uh, the number one on Twitter. Actually, I do have a, a Twitter for that. So. And I assume you read all the good podcast directories and all the really bad ones too. Yes. Too. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> um. so thank you, Sash. Thank you, Jay, as well. It's, look, one of the things I love about the way that we work together is that we have different expertise. You know, if we were talking about how, you know, if we were doing an episode about, for example, about how transgender people 
um, have had difficulty with social media, you're going to be our go. You will be our go to. But when there's things that, you know, we're in my wheelhouse, like security, it's great to be able to, for you to be able to bring your friends on and to have those discussions. And it's what I love about doing the show with you. We bring so much to, you bring so much to the show. Can make me cry. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, it's the estrogen. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, folks, until next time, do make sure you check out Linode, crosswires.net forward slash Linode. Of course, another good part of security consciousness is making sure you've got good backups. Check out Backblaze, crosswires.net forward slash Backblaze. We have an affiliate link with them. We cannot say enough good things. Uh, go and check out our episode with Pat Patterson from Backblaze. We'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at mastodon.social. And of course, you can find me showing all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. More of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live or upcoming streams. If you like what you heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crossed wires. That is ko-fi.com slash crossed wires. Until next time, thanks for listening.